There we go. Okay. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Good evening, everybody. Woo. All right. All right. We finished chapter chapter four last session two weeks ago on principles of divine healing. I had some great discussions, I know, on that, some of the the, uh, ministry of Jesus, on and on. We won't take time to go back and go over that because it should be uh, on the recording that Lisa recorded. I still have to figure out how to get that format. She sent that to me in some kind of a loop thing to my email, so I may have to get one of you high-tech guys to to help me figure that out, but uh, amen. So, Praise God. Here we are, chapter 5. We're going to look at some testimonies. What's a testimony? <laughs> it's on page 26. Yeah, page chapter 5, about the middle of your book, Dan. About the middle of your book. Chapter 5, part 1. Is your book numbered different, too, or not? Okay, so you have the same book. Okay. Okay. Part one, scripture testimonies. All right. And this is actually, this first statement here is actually question six on your test. Does everybody have your test? Angie does. I gave Colin one. I mean, uh, okay. So if you need a pen, uh, you can cheat tonight and fill in some of the answers. I think there's one. Or two pins up there. Lisa's going to be joining us, I think, uh, later, you know, on the podcast and Dan. So good evening, Lisa. Good evening, Dan. We're fixing to dive in here. The value of testimonies upon this subject cannot be questioned. They are entirely scripture. There's your answer. They are entirely scriptural, and they often bring the gospel down to the personal level and contact of the sufferer as their abstract teaching cannot do. How many have been blessed by somebody's testimony in your life? Just, uh, I know when we're preaching and we go through the book uh, on writing your sermons, you know, remember that? We talk about illustrations, testimonies, life examples. It can really help drive home a point. So what, what the author is doing here is he's going, he's going to go back and uh, we're going to go through several, uh, three different parts here of different testimonies tonight that, uh, that have been recorded in the Word of God. So the first one is Job. What do we know about Job? <laughs> Amen. Amen. He went through some testings, didn't he? I actually, in the book that I'm writing, it's called Lessons of Life. And I'm, I've got my 
outline all laid out for my book. There'll be about 15 chapters in it, but I think in uh, about chapter three, I, I wrote about Job. I, I talk about my life and then compare it to different things in the Bible. So uh, actually have an example uh, in my book about Job. It says, this is the earliest case fully detailed in the scriptures. His sickness came from Satan's touch. We realize that, right? Remember the story? How uh, Satan had to get permission from God to attack him, and God said, yeah, he's Job. He's my boy. He's, he's a great, awesome man of God. He's, he's perfect. He's wonderful. He's, he's awesome. And, uh, but eventually, uh, he allowed Satan to attack Job, didn't he? So the first series of, of attacks was, was physical stuff. I mean, not bodily. They were like, material, let's say it right, material the first attacks were material things, you know, his, be like our car and our house and our dogs and our cattle and our, uh, you know, he got just about all of his material stuff and then eventually he gets his children and then lastly in chapter two, he, you know, he still hasn't won the victory over Job. So he said, man, let me get a hold of his skin. Yeah, let me get all his skin and he'll curse you. So God allowed him to get a hold of his body with sickness and he's, you know, laying there just scrubbing him, I mean, itching him, scratching himself with a piece of pottery, trying to, you know, he's in misery. And so let's look at this tonight. His sickness came from Satan's touch. Job's sickness was divinely permitted. It was designed to lead him to search his heart and see his utter need of sanctification. His sickness did not sanctify him, but it only led to deeper exhibitions of his sin. And here it is, this is what Job's, problem was his own self-righteousness sickness does not purify anyone although it may lead us to see our need of holiness and to receive it from god there was some false teaching years ago about you know sickness and stuff and how it will uh, you, you know purify and it's a cleansing time and all of this I mean, it's back in the 70s kind of a little wave of that went through but it doesn't do any of that it leads us hopefully to see our need for our healer right so uh with with sin, or with the fall of man, I should say it that way, came sin and came sickness, right? We studied that uh, in one of the other books. So his sickness was removed, here it is, when he saw his sin and acknowledged it before God. Isn't that what God's trying to do sometimes with the, with the testings that we go through? He's just trying to get us to acknowledge it and repent of it and and hopefully try to do better you know not not continue sinning but uh you know uh, lead us lead me to the cross you know uh and put it under the under the blood so he finally after how many chapters in job like 40 something like that 30 something 40 he finally in the last chapter towards the latter part of it says well the sum of all of it you know is to fear god and keep his commandments. No, hold it. That's not right. That's not right. I'm getting Solomon. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, okay? Let, let's go back. In the end, Job finally realizes what God has done, even though his three friends, you know, have tried to tell him God's doing this, God's doing that, God's trying to do this in your life. Eventually, Job realized that it was just a test, and uh, he said, when I come forth, uh, it's all going to be okay. And so God brought him through. He brought him through the sickness, through all the loss, 
And what did he do? Restored him double. So here it is. Let's see. He, he saw his sin. He acknowledged it before God. This came to him when God revealed himself. Then he cried, Now mine eye sees you. Here it is. Wherefore I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Then came his complete justification, and with it a spirit of forgiveness and love for his enemies. And then as he prayed for them, the Lord turned his own captivity. When we get right with God, we don't need to pray a great deal for ourselves, right? As we pray for others, our own blessing will often come. Job's healing made all things new, and all his blessings were doubled. He just said that. And no doubt the spiritual blessing was the deepest of all. Don't you know he got closer to God through that? Don't you know through that whole series of tests? You know, there was a time when Job, through that whole uh, 30 or 40 chapters, didn't say anything, did he? He just sat there and listened to his friends or telling all this stuff that he, you know. But the Bible says in all this, Job charged not God foolishly. He didn't try to blame God. He didn't, yeah, yeah, why, why, why? He didn't play that that game. He, he did not charge God foolishly. He was just quiet. That's good, isn't it? Because usually our mouth will start running off stuff, you know, you know, why me, Lord? Got that mic? Speak, Open your, speak the word and let it and remove all doubt. Remove yeah. all doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, he did at least. You know he was mature enough to not say a whole lot until after his three friends finally got through going through all their stuff. He finally jumps in and says a few things. But so self righteousness mainly. Yeah. Just kind of thinking he was good. You know type thing. He, it wasn't like he was out killing people or, or a liar or because the Bible, you know, in the early verses of that uh, Job chapter 1, it talks about what a great man he was. You know, he, he uses the word eschewed evil. He understood evil. He was perfect before God, but he had uh, pride probably and self, self-righteousness was the thing that God was trying to get him to see through allowing the enemy to you know, test him. So, yeah. Ultimately, self-righteousness is born out of pride. It's like I'm good on my own, and mm-hmm. I am my own God, basically, because I am righteous within myself, so I don't need a Yeah, yeah. So it's all born from that. It, self-righteousness is ultimately born from pride. Yeah. And you see a lot of that in, quote, religious circles. There's some people that oh. walk in that, you know, they have on their, their high-dollar suit and their gold this and that, and they... They can, they can become self-righteous. You know, I've seen it play out many times in 50 years of ministry. My heart, you know, is uh, uh, broken for them because I've always said the greatest church is one where the richest man in town and the poorest man in town can come in and sit down on the same pew and worship. Exactly. But uh, some of these people, you know, it's all about what you wear, what you drive, what you eat, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm, and, and that that is a prideful, self-righteous place to be in. So there was there was actually a pastor. I think it was out, out in California. It was either West Coast or East Coast. I don't remember. But there was a pastor who actually 
did a lot of YouTube videos where he would dress up as a homeless man and walk into churches just to see, just to test and see how they would <laughs> treat him. That led him in. And it was appalling how many churches turned him away. Yeah. It was appalling how many turned him away. Because wow. it was like 80% turned him out. Wow. Wow. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. We've had some drunks walk in here. We've had a couple of prostitutes mm -hmm. walk in here. Uh, we've had all kinds of uh, people high on uh, drugs come in here, and uh, we just keep preaching the good news, right? So, okay, any questions about Job? So, all right. Can somebody read Numbers 21, verses 3 through 9? This is the next one, the wounded Israelites and the brazen serpent. Anybody ever heard this story? <laughs> there you go. Numbers 21, 3 through 9. Yep. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to, to die in the wilderness? For there is no food or water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Wow. There you go. Powerful, huh? So what, what started this chain of events? Murmuring? Yeah, and complaining. Here God had just, you know, he read the first few verses there. They'd, you know, whipped some enemies and different things, but they began to remember Egypt and how great it was there, and... They actually, there's like, I think, I because I distinctly remember there's like four or five times where that phrase was used, like, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us die in the desert? Yeah, yeah. It's like, God's tired of hearing it. I'm sure, well, I mean, by the end of it, Moses was tired of hearing it. He's yes. like, Lord, just, just, just kill me, please, just kill me. <laughs> Can't suffer with these people anymore. Yeah. Um, but you would think that they would figure out after the first, you know, I don't know, two times that maybe they should stop making that argument. But we are talking over a course of 40 years, so I guess, you know, short-term mm -hmm. memory loss or short-term memory loss is yeah. uh, not just a phenomenon of today, but it happened back then as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. 
we can whine and complain if somebody gets our pew in church almost. Some people, you know, you're like, somebody got my pew, man. <laughs> They're in my seat. Literally. So they could say, wake up and say, hey, babe, you hungry? Sure. And just reach their hand out and grab fresh manna. Yeah. I mean, it was it was provided. When God provides, he doesn't just provide. I mean, he sets it at your doorstep. Like, Here you go. Yeah. Partake all you want. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. And people took that for granted. Yeah, yeah. They casseroled it. They baked it. They fried it. <laughs> all different kinds. But I, eventually, you know, it's, it's kind of like this. <laughs> story of the the guy with the red beans right you know the first time she served him, he's like oh baby i love these beans about the third time he, he goes again beans again you know type, type thing so uh yeah i mean i get it you know you whine and complain but yet here god's taking care of you. your shoes aren't wearing out you're being fed every day but so god's god gets upset with him and he sends these fiery serpents the sickness came from satan from the serpent so still. So I was just going to ask. So when, when you talk about sending manna outside of camp, what exactly are sorry? What, what exactly are we? I mean, you know, I, I think of manna as something that sustains you, right? Mm-hmm. But is it generic, and we don't know exactly what they mean, or, or is it food? They think it was made from coriander seed. C o r i cori coriander seed. You might Google so that, it, but, but it was. Yeah, but we believe it to be food. Yeah, what is it? Literally means what is it? It's like the whatchamacallit of of the uh, Old Testament. And and it's believed that manna was like a seed type grain or bundle of like a ball of grain and bread almost. Yeah, kind of like a bread. Yeah, kind of like a bread type thing, but it just fell from the sky. Hmm. So... Obviously, it's supernatural because uh, I don't know. Last time you saw bread fall from the sky, but I certainly haven't. I mean, we do not live in the world of cloudy with a chance of meatballs. <laughs> so, you know, obviously it was it was supernatural, and we no nobody's ever seen, that phenomenon has never happened naturally mm-hmm. in the in You're the right. history of uh, in all world recorded history. So we know that it wasn't a natural thing that people attributed to God. It was a supernatural thing. Amen. And the day they moved into the promised land, it stopped. stopped. Never, ever again. So, you can read about it in Exodus and here again in, in Numbers too. Yeah. You know, Jesus even talks about him being the bread of life, you know, and he uses the word manna, you know. So, anyway, but yeah, good. Yes. So, uh, the remedy was in the likeness of the disease. Think about that. A figure of the servant with a poison extracted and a striking intimation to the suffering camp and sin-stricken world that Satan is robbing or has robbed of his sting and sickness and sin are but mere shadows of their former selves. So God instructed him to make this brazen serpent 
and it's figurative of Jesus as our Savior, the ones that were sick and that had been bitten by these snakes, as they looked upon this, this brazen serpent, they were healed. Did they? You, you remember how when we first talked about numbers and the bronze serpent, I said it's a type of Christ? Yeah. It's because the pole that he put it on was in the shape of a cross. cross. So he put a, a emblazoned serpent as, you know, basically, which throughout, the, throughout biblical typology, the serpent has always been associated with sin. So you have this blazing serpent on a cross. And when people look at it, they are healed and they're restored. Mm-hmm. How much of a signal to Christ, and this is thousands of years, yeah. 1,500 years before Christ. Yeah. Moses, the Romans. Yeah, Moses. No, the Romans invented crucifixion. Oh, you mean the the cross that Jesus, the brazen serpent? Yes. Yeah, so. It was just I, he probably had some of his crafters just make that. Yeah. You think it may have been Abimelech that helped with the creation? I don't know. It didn't really say in that read in that in your text. No, it didn't really say in the text, did it, John? When you read it, it just said or, that it was made. The and, two the two crafters that. They did all the metalworking. I can't remember. Yeah, there were there were a lot of them. Yeah, there were a lot of crafters and special skilled people. So anyway, but the main thing, uh, this took the sting of sin from Satan, and by looking again at the cross, the symbol of Jesus, thousands of years, you know, beforehand, it uh, signified the redemption of mankind. So powerful stuff. Uh, you know, and the thing I thought about, too, as I was reading this, how many ever been to a doctor's clinic or hospital and saw that same? Angie, you probably have. It's a cross with the serpent. I was literally just Googling. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. It's called the catechias. Catechias. You ever heard that term in nursing? That that version, the catechias, is a not pagan spiritual version. Yeah, of the orig- of that of the of the original uh, serpent on a pole from Mosaic times, and uh, I forget. I think it's Greek. Uh, mm-hmm. It was on the staff. No, yes, Greek. It was on the staff of Hermes, hmm. if I remember correctly. But yeah, a lot of different. Even today, you see it a lot. Different. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's still used just everywhere. Sign of healing. Yeah. You know, kind of a sign of. Go ahead, Dan. With it be a, a blazon, and the serpent being, you know, akin to sin. Our sin has been put on fire and burned away by the fire of God, you know, on the cross where Jesus hung. So that makes me feel a lot more relieved and comforted about the meaning of why would a serpent, why would you look upon that versus, you know, Jesus, the innocent lamb. Mm -hmm. But that's why, because 
you know, the cross. sin was burned off yeah. by it, the holiness of God, yeah. the yeah. fire of God. Evil. Yeah, anytime you see it in the Bible, usually when serpent denotes evil. But this there, like I said, there's two times here when not well, so. And the thing we have to remember is that God created serpents too. Yeah. So if he wants to use <laughs> So if he wants to in, in a special circumstance like turning his turning Moses' staff into a serpent, or using this using the symbolism of a serpent, which represents sin emblazoned on a on a cross which is what Christ did is he took the sins of the world upon on himself. the cross uh, so you know huh? yeah 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 exactly exactly yeah. it's made out of brass yep. yeah yeah it's not emblazoned it's just brazen yeah, yeah there we go fire oh well yeah it's been burned yeah so okay so another uh, fine uh, number two example here or testimony of healing they were looking to the cross basically for their healing thousands of years earlier now Naaman this was uh, a leper in the Bible uh, someone uh, read second Kings Five verse number one. I'll tell you when to stop. Just want you to. We're going to take time to read these tonight instead of just talking about them. I want you to hear every word of the. By the way, Exodus sixteen for the blind. Uh, for the, uh, mm-hmm. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, uh, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, <laughs> he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word, word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Mm -hmm. 
So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and then you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the <laughs> waters of Israel? I could not wash in them and be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little Ooh. child. All and right. He was clean. Thank you. All right. I wanted us to all be familiar with that. It's amazing who God uses in this sequence of events, right? First, just a little Hebrew maiden, right, to, to tell them about God, uh, you know, God's healing power in Israel. And then he uses his servants in the end to convince him to go, hello, it's worth, you know, it's worth trying. At least, you know, he t- the man of God told you to. What else you gonna do? Exactly. So uh, this was a, you know, again, he had leprosy. He was a great man. Great, I think the Bible says a great man of valor. Uh, the instrument of this cure was, in the first instance, a Hebrew maiden. An insignificant person, right? Just an insignificant uh, young lady. And in her great usefulness, we learn how God can use a very humble messenger and an incidental word. Indeed, Naaman's own servants a little later, there we go, saved his blessing for him by their wise counsel. The lesson of humble, and that's the lesson from this story, the lesson of humble and obedient faith must next be learned. The proud self and the will of Naaman must die before his body can be healed by the divine touch. And so Elisha meets his splendid state with quiet independence and sends him a simple, humbling message to wash seven times in the Jordan. You remember, it said there in the Word, they come riding up, you know, with chariots and horses thundering up to his door. The man of God doesn't even come out to talk to him. You know, that, that hurt his ego and his pride. He just sent a messenger. Go out there and tell him to... Go down to the nasty Jordan River and dip in it seven times. That Jordan River can get pretty nasty. Yeah. So here we go. That's what's going on. The sick are often deeply wounded by our seeming neglect, but God sometimes teaches them thus the lowliness of faith and takes their thoughts of themselves and others. Naaman, like all other proud sinners, at first refused the cross and is about to lose his blessing when a word of an honest frankness from his servants brings him to his senses and sends him. It's amazing who God will use, like I said. Amen? So the faith of Naaman. Finally, faith, not only faith, but obedience. Right? But not that obedience turned into faith. Yeah. So it started out as grudging. Yeah. I mean, it, it, these are the two ways that I've, that I've noticed, the two major ways that I've noticed that, that people are healed in the Bible. It's either they have faith and are healed and are healed, or they have obedience and gain faith through healing. So 
<laughs> and so he was begrudging at first, and so he went ahead and he went down to yeah. the river. He probably thought, like, why am I doing this? Yeah. And he went into the river, and each time he came out, it was probably a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And over by the seventh time, he was probably run. I, I picture him like a running yeah. back into the Jordan yeah. saying, oh, it's, you know, yeah. exactly. his faith by the seventh time was probably so strong that it was that it was that he had gained faith through obedience. Exactly. So, it consisted in his doing obedience, just what the prophet told him. He took God's way without qualification, and he persevered in it till his blessing came. Perhaps the first or second or sixth time there was no sign of healing, but he pressed on, and at length the wondrous blessing came, the flesh of a little child. And there's a net lesson here for us. Keep holding on, right? <laughs> till the healing comes his his request he didn't you know makes a request for a gift of earth so that he can take back to his country just to kneel upon it and if you remember he tried to pay uh elisha but elisha said no we're not taking anything blah 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 and well gehazi one of his servants followed this rich man and asked for some money and he comes back and if you read the whole chapter there to elisha and uh elisha uh, tell, pegs him and says, "Hey, you went and took the money. You're you're going to be filled with leprosy." And instantly, leprosy came upon the servant for uh, lying to the man of God. So, <laughs> all right, that's all right. Anyway, uh, so number four, Hezekiah. Anybody remember him? What do we know about him? God added fifteen years to his life, didn't he? Okay, so let's somebody read Second Kings. Uh, Corey, you haven't read yet. Would you like to? Second Kings twenty, verse number one. Huh? Okay, yeah, yeah, you can pass. All right, Angie. All right. Okay, yeah, you got. Oh, okay. All right, Angie, you got it. Almost. Second Kings twenty, verse one. Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Keep going. Uh, then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out in, into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. 
On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. All right, thank you. So here's the, there's the story of Hezekiah. He was sick, terribly sick. He uh, had heard about God, decided to turn his face to the wall and cry out to God. And God heard him, didn't he? And he healed him and gave him 15 more years. So here's what kind of the lesson tonight from this. He turned to God in humility. He made no attempt to find help from man. He threw himself helplessly on the mercy of the Lord. His prayer was not a very trustful one, but God heard his helpless cry and sent deliverance. And it was even accompanied, you know, if you go on and read the rest of that story, uh, they asked for a sign, so they had two things. First of all, the sundial went back 10 degrees. And you, they can actually, science can prove there's two different times in the history of the world that time actually turned backwards. And it's in the, it's in the Bible, and this is one of them. Yeah, it turned back 10 degrees, and then a poultice of figs uh, Isaiah just put it, and it wasn't that the healing was in the figs. It was just a sign of uh, obedience. Both are called signs. The figs were not medicinal, for medicine was of no avail, but symbolical and therefore administered by a prophet, not a physician. Kind of like the handkerchief, you know, that that Paul would or Peter, Peter would use, you know, upon people. So, the sequel of his healing was unworthy of it. Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit, but his heart was lifted up. And long years afterwards, the bitter fruits of his sin, he, event, he turns away from God later on in life. But again, that, that was the story there of Hezekiah. Any comments or questions on that one? Oh, man, I knew you would ask that. I'm turning back. It's Second Kings verse uh, verse eight, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah. Yeah, we just we know about that one. It's the other one. Oh, the other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, the other one. There's where, another time. Where in, time turned back, or time yeah. stood still. Uh, uh, I think it went backwards, and I was trying to remember where it was at, but now I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Well, time here. stood still with Moses uh, holding up the staff whenever they were fighting the Amalekites. Uh, Exodus, I believe that's like 14. I'll research that, okay? But there's, yeah, there's definitely two different times when. Yep, yep. Here it went back 10 degrees, so. Thank God for Google, right? They've already got the answer here, class, if you're listening to this later. Hebrews 11.34. That's in the faith chapter, recalling one of the. Maybe it was Moses that, or Aaron. Oh, man, I'm drawing. Hebrews 11, 34. That's not it. We'll, we'll get that. We will get that. Okay. Number six. Number five. 
the nobleman's son. This is now moving into the New Testament. John chapter 4. Somebody read verse 46 through 54. This is the second, second miracle. Now the book says this is the first miracle. Well, I guess it is the first miracle of healing. Yeah, that exactly. It's uh, John there talks about it being the second miracle, but it's the first miracle of healing. The first miracle in the Bible was what? The water turning to wine. So, but this is the first miracle of healing. The nobleman's son, John four forty six. Y'all got it? Anybody? You want me to read it? John four. 46 through 54. Mm -hmm. That was the first recorded miracle. And then this one is the first miracle of healing. And I think in this text it will say it was his second. It was his second miracle. So one was healing. One was uh, making water, turning water into wine. Somebody got it? So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless your people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. More? Is that through 54? Uh, nope. Then he inquired of them uh, the hour in which he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Okay. So Jesus didn't even go there, did he? He sent his word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. First. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Find my faith. Yeah, exactly. Just sent it, you know? Yeah. Wireless, wirelessly, <laughs> there it went. But it took the faith on the nobleman's part, didn't he? He just believed, you know. He, okay, I'm, and he gets there, and sure enough, the servants, yeah, about about such and such time, yeah, that's right when he spake the word of God, you know. So he simply believed, didn't he? Here's you know, he's a nobleman, and he simply believed the word of God. I just think I, I think it's interesting how, in this particular instance, he did the quote-unquote, remote healing, where he took his faith and he spoke it and it happened. But he intentionally and specifically, Lazarus, waited till the fourth day mm -hmm. after he was dead to raise him. Yeah. I, I hope we get to that today, and I don't, I don't think we will. But I love... Do, does anybody know why it's significant that it was the fourth day? Dead alone for at least three days to make sure they were dead. A Jewish ritual. Yeah. It's actually the 
it, it's actually deeper than that because the third they believed at that time they believed that the spirit remained in the body for three days so he intentionally waited for the fourth day because according to everybody else his spirit was gone his body is decaying he is not there there is no way he can come back from the dead and he says three words Lazarus come forth and Lazarus comes waddling out of the grave (laughs) okay go i like what it says here it was simple naked faith three times the three day things that paul was talking about jesus lazarus and the two two witnesses in revelation yeah okay <laughs> all right uh Naked faith, naked word. I like that. Just believed, right? And he was made whole. It says it developed quietly and gradually, and so many are now healed. He inquired at what hour it began to amend, and, of course, the answer was blah, blah, blah. Okay. Healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Mark chapter 1. I didn't write down the exact verses on that one, but I think we know the story of that. She had a fever, and it was not only just a fever like we would have with a child but it was a demonic type presence as well so uh, this is his second this is in that uh, Mark chapter 1 but it's his second recorded miracle of healing he had cast out a demon already Peter's wife was uh, wife's mother was lying sick of fever Uh, what did Jesus do he rebuked the fever and so this does imply some kind of a personal and evil agent so anybody ever use that when you're praying i rebuke you devil in the name of jesus anybody say that besides me okay i rebuke you and this is probably where grandma got that because i know i've heard probably grandma or mom use that term i rebuke you devil you know i use i think i said sunday i bind you up i render you helpless i rebuke you you have no authority you have no control in this situation so uh he took her by the hand uh, then, and, and I, this is really in the chosen. They, they really, really do a good job with this. He just jumps out of bed and starts ready to go back in the kitchen and start cooking, right, or something? Yeah, just, I mean, instantly. She's laying there, you know, just sick unto death, and he just takes her by the hand says, get up, and, uh, and here she goes, you know. So completely, not only a healing of fever, but of the de- the demonic oppression that the enemy had put upon her uh, as well. So uh, let's see here. The healing for of the multitude. Uh, this is where he uh, cast out demons and healed all the sick. Somebody read Matthew 8, verse 16. Uh, this is kind of a, a group, a big healing, you know, where everybody that was there got healed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. All right. And then we see some of the the religious folks getting mad, don't they? 
because he had uh, on the Sabbath day. And uh, what does he say here in the book? Uh, let's see this. It was on the evening of the Sabbath on which it healed. And they had been gathering all day and waited until the... Oh, so, no, this time he actually waited till it was passed, okay? It had just finished up. It was the sixth hour or whatever, uh, six o'clock. And, and uh, they pressed in on him from every side. So he did wait until afterwards, but... I like what the author says here. The day is soon going to come when he deliberately and purposely healed on the Sabbath day. He was kind of nice that day, but uh, later on he, he, he does it that he might repudiate and trample down this absurd and godless idea and to show men that the body was as sacred as the soul. How many know he's Lord of the Sabbath? Hallelujah. He can do whatever he wants to. Hallelujah. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He healed all that had need. He wished to show that it was not for favorite cases like the mother-in-law of an apostle, but for all poor, sinful, suffering lives that could trust him. And the most highest and helpful of all the lessons is the way in which these cases are linked with the prophecy in Isaiah. It's referring to Isaiah 53 here. Uh Describing him as the bearer of sickness and infirmity, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Uh, it was no special and exceptional display of his power as a son of God, but it was the real purpose and design of his Messiahship. Isaiah saw it, didn't he? Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. So and then he goes on, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So that was a group. Uh, healing there of the multitude, the leper. Uh, this is the, I think I preached on this one not too long ago. He came to Jesus and said, if you will, you can make me clean. That's in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. Uh, he said, it kind of paraphrases it here in the book, I'm sure you would help me if you could. And uh, what did Jesus say? I will. <laughs> yeah. Be thou clean. He said, you can heal me if you want to. I will. Be thou clean. There is no evasion or ambiguity, no hesitation or conditioning. He just healed him, didn't he? The touch of Christ meant a great deal to a leper. It was a long time since a hand of love had touched him. Think about it. They had to stay like, what was it, 200 yards away from everybody? And if they got, if people got very close to him, they had to start shouting out, unclean, unclean. And so just, he hadn't, you know, it had been a long time. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like the, the scarlet letter, you know, back in the old day. Yeah. yeah. Talk about social distancing. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Wow. So it meant a lot to him. It was a long time since a hand of love had touched him. It was not a cold or mechanical touch. He was moved with compassion. So then, of course, the lepers, if you're healed of it, you had to go to the priest and show yourself clean to, to get back into society. So one more here. Uh, well, there's two more. The paralytic, I'm kind of breezing through these some. This is Mark 2, 1 through 12. This is the guy that had four crazy friends, right? I preached a sermon on that. How many of y'all have four crazy friends that would tear a house up to get you to Jesus? 
<laughs> four crazy friends. They, uh, uh, you know the story, the house was full. He's paralyzed. They bring him on a bed. They can't get in there because of all the people, so they go up the staircase on the outside, tear a hole in the roof, and drop this guy that's uh, uh, paralyzed right down in the middle of Jesus. And he heals him, doesn't he? So, uh, and uh, if you read that, the Jews, maybe we should read a little bit of that. Let me hear. Let me see if I can find what I want to read. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Oh, I'm already on it right here. Uh, yeah, they, they uh, when they could not come nigh, they, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick, Son, your sins be forgiven you. That's nothing to do with healing, is it? But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their heart, what does this man why does he speak in blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Immediately when Jesus perceived in, he was reading their mail, wasn't he? Perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why do you reason these things in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to rise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise, take up your bed, and go your way into your house. So that man not only got salvation that day, but he got healing too, didn't he? Wow. Woo! Good stuff. Okay. One more. The lame man at Bethesda. This is in John chapter 5. Uh, let's see here. This is about in the middle of his ministry, it was his first open and deliberate case of healing on the Sabbath day, and it was to defy their absurd ideas about the secular nature of disease and healing. Uh, let's see, the man was looking to the fountain. You know, I've, I've again preached on this not that long ago. He laid there for what, wasn't it, 38 years? And, uh, sir, I have no man, you know, to, to put me in. You know, he had an excuse. Jesus asked him, I think, would you like to would you like to leave here walking? Uh, well, I don't have anybody, you know, to help me. And Jesus, you know, spoke healing into him. And uh, so there's a lesson here for us, for the waiting ones who are just hoping for some day. <laughs> Hope so, maybe so, think so, right? That's not faith, is it? Hope so, think so, maybe so. Is it God's will to heal? Yes. We've got to settle that in our minds once and for all. So... When Jesus healed him, he dispelled all his dreamy future and started him on the practical and solid ground of a present act of decision. So still hope is often mistaken for faith. The test of faith's, faith is that it is it's always present and takes the blessing now. So, again, how many, that's about what? How many different ones is that? Seven or eight there? At least, and John's going to get into part two here, but let's, before we do that, whoa, we're about out of time. Yeah. I want to go over this test some with you, so everybody have your copy? Okay. Question, number, John, I guess we may, we'll see. We may have to put you on hold till the next okay. go around, and I, and I thought I was speeding. I did speed, didn't I, a little bit? No. But, but we're going to, we will probably finish this book uh, next session, Okay. We'll get into two. You'll do two, and then I'll do, do three. And we're not going to do. We're going to briefly mention his, the author's testimony, and uh, 
call it a wrap on this book. So, is the practice of healing for our bodies merely a privilege? It's a command. Okay? Page page six in your book, uh, about the second paragraph. Again, observe that this is a command. It ceases to be a mere privilege. It is the divine prescription for disease, and no obedient Christian can safely dispense with it. And then he says later, this is God's plans, his divine prescription for disease. So it's not just a privilege, it's a it's a command. That's that's powerful, isn't it? It's a, it's a command. What is the simple condition of the great blessing of physical healing? That's good. Yeah. Faith and then, you know, uh, he, he lists several things here, but even before faith it is believing that it is the will of God to heal you. Yeah, and then those two go together. You must, which is really that's a form of faith, right? Believing that it is God's will, and that's on page uh, eight in your book. Be fully assured of the will of God to heal you, and then uh, later on there, as Corey just said, yeah, act your faith. Okay, on page this next one, number three. Upon what foundation does true faith rest? This is on page seven. It's rest on the great principles and the promises of God's word page 7 about uh, the second paragraph from the very bottom of that page this is the only sure foundation of rational and scriptural faith your faith must rest on the great principles promises of the Bible so give the seven steps toward having faith for complete healing uh, that starts on page 7 and ends on page 13. Number 1, be fully persuaded of the Word of God. Number 2, be fully assured of the will of God to heal you. Number 3, on page 9, be careful that you are yourself right with God. Make sure you're right with God. Number four, commit your body to him and claim his promise of healing in the name of Jesus by simple faith. Boy, we preached on that Sunday, didn't we? The name of Jesus. So that's number four. I know I'm going fast. Number five, act your faith. Will the symptoms always manifest? Uh, or, or try to come back sometimes yeah you got to keep acting out your faith believe you receive when you pray and walk it out number six be prepared for trials of faith the enemy's going to try to come and destroy your faith take it away snatch it out Even after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, immediately the devil came, didn't he? Tried to, tried to uh, destroy him. And number seven, use your new strength.
and health for God. So, page 7 through 13. Number 5 is divine healing in the atonement. Yes. And we talked about this scripture tonight. We've talked about it, this scripture, about every session. Isaiah, 50, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. 1 Peter 2, 24. By your stripes, by his stripes you were healed. So those are two scriptures that you ought to memorize. 1 Peter 2, 24. Yep. And this is on... Yeah. First Peter two twenty four and Isaiah fifty three, four and five. This is on page the answer to this is on page twenty one in your book too. Number six, of what value are scriptural testimonies of healings? I gave you all that one as we started tonight. That's the first paragraph. Yeah, scriptural. They are entirely scriptural and bring the gospel down to the personal level. Okay, uh, I'll have you read his testimony. This is this this would be an easy one for you to. If you haven't read the author's testimony, it's on page forty-four through fifty. Just read that on your own. I just did a. Here's my brief summary. He had twenty years of suffering from physical infirmities. It took him until Wednesday to get over uh, uh, just preaching on Sunday. His body would be so tired he'd preach on Sunday. It would be Wednesday before he had enough strength to get out. People would call him and need the preacher, and he couldn't even go because of his infirmity. Uh, uh, let's see here. What else did I write? And then he began to try, to try to take the Lord as his healer, but a physician told him it was presumptuous to do that. So he, once again, nosedived. But eventually, on a Friday at 3 p.m., he went into the woods and claimed God as his healer, and he preached as many as uh, 20 times in one week after God healed him. It's just crazy. Remember, this book was written back in the, look at the guy, in the 1800s, okay? I love it. I love it. So anyway, God healed him. You can read that for yourself, though. Number eight, what advice is given concerning our attitude when others use medical remedies? Here's the answer to that is on page 19. We do not imply the medical profession is sinful or their use always wrong. They have a limited value. The more excellent way is to believe God for your healing. So we don't, we don't judge them. We, don't, uh, uh, we just know there's something better, right? Yeah. And, you know, again, we've talked about it several times in this book. They... God uses doctors and he uses nurses. If I've got a, when I tore, when I was riding a horse and tore my ankle open from, you know, he sewed me up, 11 stitches in my ankle, you know. And uh, so they do, they do do some good. So, but. We, <laughs> yeah, what should be the place of divine healing? Yeah. And that's on page one, actually, in the book. It's, I'll read it to you. It's one of the mo most mighty forces in the next missionary movement. 
God is going to use healings. I, and I speak that over this church. The day is going to come when people are going to know in this town, if you need healing, come to this church here. They believe in healing here. And they'll lay hands on you. And they'll believe God for your healing. But he says here, we believe it is to be one of the most mighty forces in the next missionary movement. Movement. We should not be surprised if it should have an important place in the greatest spiritual awakening that is yet to visit the churches and we cannot question that it is immediately no intimately connected with the hope and nearness of our lord's second coming it is most important that it should be ever held in its true place in relation to the other parts of the gospel it is not the whole gospel nor the chief part of it but it is a part and it's due subordination by the whole, it will prove like the gospel itself the power of God unto everyone that believes. So that's the long, the long answer. But anyway, it's going to be. Um, uh, yeah, and you can read that. That's yeah, that's on page fifty-four. You can read that. Here's three, three or four things that I wrote down. It denies that Jesus has come in the flesh. It denies the reality of His body. It undermines Christianity. It does away entirely with the atonement. And it denies the creation of the material universe by God. Wow, that's a Yeah. Exactly. In the beginning, God... <laughs> Deny, number one, it denies that Jesus has come in the flesh. Number two, denies the reality of his body. Number three, it undermines Christianity. Number four, it does away entirely with the atonement. And number five, it denies the creation of the material universe by God. Yes. Yeah. It's all about science. They shouldn't even have the word Christian. How about humanistic science instead of Christian science? So anyway, there's your answers. 803, I guess we'll wrap up. John will uh, kick off too the next time we meet. And again, we hope to maybe wrap up this book. In the meantime, read read the guy's testimony and then read that chapter for your own self on the, the last one about Christian science if you have any. Yeah, page 54. Good stuff. Thank you all so much for coming tonight.